Historically, and even until recently, a lot of people's professional relationships were transactional. Today's guests say that not only should we take the human step to connect better, but that it's essential for today's leaders. Ed Shine and Peter Shine return to help us along on the path towards more trusting relationships. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 539. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. And speaking of conversations, that is a skill that every leader needs in order to be effective at being able to influence, but also, of course, have being able to listen. And the more we can gain trust through conversations, the better we're going to do as leaders that we'll be able to serve others and to serve our organizations. Today, I'm so glad to welcome back an expert duo who will help us to build trust through our conversations. I'm glad to welcome back to the show award-winning father and son duo Edgar Schein and Peter Schein. They're renowned in the organizational development space. They co-founded the Organizational Culture and Leadership Institute and have written several books together, including two in the Humble Leadership Series. The first edition of Humble Inquiry sold more than 200,000 copies worldwide and was translated into 17 languages. Ed is Professor Emeritus of MIT's Sloan School of Management. He's the recipient of the Distinguished Scholar Practitioner Award from the Academy of Management, the Lifetime Achievement Award from the International Leadership Association, and the Lifetime Achievement Award in Organizational Development from the International OD Network. Peter Schein is COO of the Organizational Culture and Leadership Institute and provides consult to senior management on organizational development challenges facing private and public sector entities worldwide. He is a contributing author to the fifth edition of Organizational Culture and Leadership and co-author of Humble Leadership and the Corporate Culture Survival Guide. Together, they just released the second edition of Humble Inquiry, The Gentle Art of Asking Instead of Telling. Ed and Peter, a pleasure to have you back on the show. Glad to be here. Great to be. Well, I'll just re-emphasize the incredible accolades you've both received throughout your careers. Uh, when I was doing my doctoral studies and the topic came up in, in our coursework on culture, our professor said, well, there's a lot of good people out there, but the, the one person you should read is Shine. Shine is the best, uh, the best work out there on this. So thank you so much, both of you, for all of the work you've been doing over the years. And so much of culture and relationships comes down to trust. And when I was reading through Humble Inquiry, these two sentences really leapt out at me. You write, the reluctance we display when someone asks us for feedback mirrors the degree to which we are afraid to offend or humiliate. We duck the issue by trying to emphasize positive feedback, knowing full well that what others may really want to hear is where we see them as wanting or imperfect so that they can improve. Boy, I, I read those two sentences and I think how much so many of us want that in our relationships. We want to hear that real feedback. And yet we so rarely get it, do we? Well, I can't help but comment that the reason this happens is because from early childhood on, we teach people 
not to say things to each other that might hurt. So we're walking along, and there's a little kid. We say, oh, mommy, look at the fat lady over there. And the mother says immediately, oh, you mustn't use that uh, language, because if she heard you say that, she would be hurt. So we're taught in our culture not to give negative feedback. And then as performance appraisers, as managers, we are told that we have to do the opposite. We're supposed to tell each other all the things that are not working well and so on. But the reason we find it awkward and generally don't do it is because all this cultural nonsense is behind us. So the way out of that is, first of all, to build a different kind of relationship with the people to whom we are, quote, supposed to give feedback. And that usually means that we get to know each other well enough so that we want to talk honestly to each other. We want to get past the cultural constrictions that we've learned. And that requires some new skill building. It's not automatic. The relationship has to be built, and it comes in many forms. Dave, I think maybe this is a good point where if we could quickly go through our um, relationship theory, our relationship framework, which, by the way, we didn't invent. This is something that's sort of implicit in a lot of sociological and anthropological thought, but it's important to be very kind of conscious and mindful of these different relationship levels as we try to unpack what what the idea of humble inquiry really means. So let me go through really quickly. It's There's four levels of relationship that we like to talk about, and I'll go into more detail, but it's the middle two layers that, that are really the, the critical ones. But as leaders, we also need to talk about level three. So I'll, I'll get to that as well. But our, the model starts with uh, the, the bottom layer is what we call level minus one. And the reason it's minus one is because it is absolutely a relationship, but it's a negative relationship. So calling it zero, level zero might have implied that there's no relationship. No, this is a relationship, but it's one of dominance and exploitation. Mm. So this is the, the foreman of sweatshop or the prison guard or even, even though it ends up being a very positive relationship in boot camp or maybe first year of medical school, you may have a level minus one relationship where it's clearly about domination mm-hmm. and submission. So that's level minus one. And that's typically not something that we're going to talk a lot about at work, because if you have relationships like that that are that exploitative or negative, it tends to get addressed. It's usually a conversation with HR or whatever, but it's not typical in a a work environment. Then level one, by contrast, is a much more direct one-to-one relationship, but we view that level one as what's primarily a transactional relationship where people stay in their roles, they stay in their lanes, and the work to be done is is transacting business between those roles. It's not a personal relationship, and it's designed to be a transactional relationship so the business can scale up and scale down without hurting anybody's feelings. It's just that's a role, you're playing that role, 
and you're going to transact within the purview of that role. Then level two um, is the contrast to that, which is it's a personal relationship. The intent is to build openness and trust so that you can share what might otherwise remain unsaid. You can share answers to questions that people don't ask. You can share information because you know it will be received with openness by the the other person in the relationship. And you will trust that that other person will share information with you, again, even if you don't know to ask for that information. And then the third level is intimacy, which generally, again, we we view um, intimacy in, in sort of the romantic terms is not really appropriate in the workplace. But we have a lot of conversations with people about the idea of professional intimacy, where we're very close with each other because we're spending, you know, 25 hours or more a week working together on something intently. And we can finish each other's sentences. We're just completely in line. And, you know, the typical examples of this are a, a high performance sports team or uh, special ops or SEAL team in the, in the military, where they're just, the, they're, they spend so much time together that they are cohesive beyond just what we would describe as a level two relationship. So the, the, back to the idea that, that you raise of this implicit wall in sharing feedback is if at level one, we have a transactional relationship, it's crossing the line. It's crossing the net to go tell somebody something that's negative. Mm. It's possible to just be, you know, sort of superficially positive without crossing the net. And so we don't. But our point would be that if you move your relationship to level two, where you truly have developed a, a sort of a substrate of openness and trust, you can share feedback that may be a little tough but it's in the right spirit of openness and trust, and it becomes a net positive. One of the things that you, you highlight in the book is that we all conceal things, and that a useful way to build a relationship and to move from level one to level two is for people to open up more of their concealed selves. I was wondering if you could share, what do you mean by concealed, and what is it about that that works well? Well, let, let me take a crack at that initially, because all these conversations always happen in a culture. And as I said before, in that culture, we learn how to talk to each other and what's appropriate and what's not. And the concealed self is all the reactions I have about you in the conversation or in our relationship that I've been told only tell you if you ask, and even then be gentle. Because as humans, we all require a positive self-presentation. And the last thing in the world we need in a conversation is someone to puncture our balloon, to tell us negative stuff in areas where we thought we were doing well. So the bulk of what we conceal is these reactions. Deep down, we're very curious. What do they really think of me? If I were over, overhearing a conversation about me, what might I hear? 
we think we want that, but actually culture is not very geared to people saying that to each other. So another point about feedback is it should be work and performance related to where we do want to know how we're doing. I don't want to know everything about myself that other people conceal because they might hurt me. I don't want to hear all that. I do want to hear if I'm not clear when I'm trying to tell, tell you something or if I've given a lecture and it didn't get across. So what we move from the concealed to the open is very much a function of what we collectively in level two agree are the areas where we have to tell each other honestly what we think. So moving from level one to level two means moving some of what we conceal into the open area by mutual agreement. Ed has an old friend who's, who's a, a mindfulness expert named Alan Langer, who has a bunch of interesting sort of questions that people can raise that will help people get, get over that it's difficult to reveal threshold or that boundary that's hard for us often to cross. One of those questions that I particularly like, like is, what's different today? Because it's not threatening, but it does, it does take you into a place where you have to sort of say, yeah, okay, for me, what is different today that I can share with the group that will get me into a, a more of an open, revealing state of mind without necessarily going into my life history or my, you know, the, the stuff that's truly personal that doesn't really belong in the meeting. Uh, so I, anyway, I, those are just some, some ideas. I think that that idea that you need to be sort of intentional about drawing people out is one of the, one of the key principles in humble inquiry. We, we describe it as an art and a skill. And I think we say it's an art because we've all had experiences of people who are very gifted at this, who are very gifted at this dance of inquiring and revealing. So we have to recognize that, that intrinsically there are some people who are, who are really great at this. At the same time, all artists need to develop their skills. We all have natural ability to do this but it's skills that we have to work on. It's, you know, another thing that requires 10,000 hours to be really good at. And hopefully part of what we accomplish in the Humble Inquiry book is giving some people some ideas of how they might start to develop those skills. Mm, indeed. You mentioned the word dance, and you use that analogy in the book about that uh, this is a bit of a dance, and and especially between two people in a conversation in a relationship, that there's an art to this. And I'm I'm also thinking about the word status, which comes up a lot in the book as well. And I know a lot of our listeners are in a place where they have a higher level status than a lot of the folks in the or their organization, and they are leading larger teams. And like a good dance partner, it helps if there's someone who's the lead, right? And for the leader who is maybe in the level one place 
in a lot of their relationships, or maybe they flirted a bit with level two, and they would like to take the lead to enter into a place of maybe revealing a bit. What's a helpful place for them to start, to take the lead in that dance? Well, I think what we what we are trying to get across is that conversations are very interactive. And so the dance where there are presupposed steps and it's decided that one person, often the male, has to lead, may not be a, a good model for the dance of conversation, which may be much more like what we see a lot of the young generations doing now in a dance, which is connecting with each other visually, but the movements can be quite independent and slowly get coordinated into something, which is both a process of revealing and maybe a new move yourself. But the other person listening carefully, reacting to that move, and that creates a new move in them. So if you think of it as a, more of as an improv-type dance rather than a formatted dance, where each is both revealing more of themselves and listening or watching carefully what the other one is doing, which leads to increasingly higher levels of innovative self-revelations. That's what a really good conversation becomes. And in that sense, it is a dance, but it's, it's not the old style dance where there is a leader and a follower and a format that has to be followed. So that, that is, I think, an important clarification. The, the model today is improv theater rather than scripted theater, uh. because that's what conversations really are. They're complicated improv performances. Indeed. And I'm thinking about status because since you talk about it so much in the book, that does the responsibility lie on the manager in a team to kick this off, to be the person who begins that improv by being the person who starts to reveal a bit that maybe they haven't done before? Or, to your point, Ed, in a world where this is more of an improv, can and should someone who has lower status in the organization be the person that maybe takes a risk and reveals something. And I'm, I'm curious how you both think about that when you think of how this starts. Well, let me, let me jump on that one because I think the world has gotten itself stuck in level one transactional relationships. And in a transactional relationship, it is by definition the boss's, the manager's role to take the leadership move. And so the most important message, I guess, to all managers out there is, first of all, ask yourself, have you wittingly or unwittingly created a level one transactional world for your direct reports, which by definition silences them? They're going to wait for you. Or as a result of 
this talk, you will say to yourself, hey, maybe my level one transactional professional distance is what is creating the problems. That that's why people aren't telling me what's really going on. So maybe I have to initiate a move toward creating that level two relationship. And I have to make it known to my subordinates, my direct reports, my colleagues, that I want less professional distance and more of a relationship. The clearest case of that is this wonderful submarine commander that has written the book, uh, Turn the Ship Around, who took over the submarine and got his chief petty officers, who were way down the hierarchy from him, sat him around the table and said to them sincerely, took him a while to believe him, but they did, said to them sincerely, I'd like to know what you think is wrong with this ship that we need to do something about. They looked at him and said, you're kidding, right? Because you're the captain, you, you're going to tell us what's wrong, right? And he said, no, I'm the new captain. I'm still your captain, but I don't know this ship as well as you do. And I really want to hear from you your assessment of what, what needs to be fixed on this ship. So they began to tell him and revealed any number of things that he never would have found out on his own. So the boss has to initiate, but from insight, in the sense of saying, I have to change my relationship to my direct reports. I have to invite them, and I have to reassure them that I really do want to hear what's going on, that I'm not going to get impatient and punish them and be... Uh, well, I guess impatience is the most common word. Bosses are impatient with what their direct reports are trying to tell them. And then they turn off the stream of information. So does that make sense that they, the boss has to initiate, but not by some grand gesture, so much as saying, I want to hear from you, and I mean it, and I promise I will listen yeah, and then of course, actually do something with it, and uh, and of course, you're uh, speaking of the work of David Marquet, who is just brilliant, and I've uh, just been so fortunate to have him on the show and 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 see, you know, what a great example he is of exactly what you describe, Ed, of having that humble approach of of really a of asking and really listening, and and Peter, I'm I'm thinking about that in the context of your experience too. I know you do so much work with senior leaders and organizations. And when you are working with someone who is is at this place where they're really ready to begin to open up a bit and maybe reveal something about themselves that they haven't done before, what's a helpful starting point? What, what kind of things should that leader be thinking about that they may bring into that space that starts to open up a bit of that permission to say more? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I want to start by introducing the idea that we be very conscious of the myths that may be motivating us. And one of those primary myths, I believe it's a myth, is that you have to verbally and demonstrably demonstrate your status, your rank. You know, last time I checked, the org chart was still the org chart. 
you're still in charge of those people. And it's not through some sort of expressions of command and control that you need to represent that charge. I think it's a 20th century myth that we need to, every day we go to work, we need to demonstrate we're in charge. They know you're in charge. They might not even want your job. (laughs) I mean, there's that myth that you always got to be looking out for the one who's below you because they want to take your job. Well, that's sometimes true. But I just think there may be much more for a leader to gain by forgetting that stuff and going in with a mindset or what we describe as the the humble inquiry attitude. And so with that, if I could give you, um, we have a little mnemonic for that of what, what we think that humble inquiry attitude is, because this is, this is the way that you open up the openness and trust communication channel. So the moniker, the, the mnemonic is, is we, we call sharing the mic. And the M in mic is really your motivation. Is it truly the case that you care about the people that you're working with? Because if you don't care about the people you're working with, maybe none of this really matters. But if you, you go in assuming that you care about the people that you work with, but maybe even more than that, your motivation comes from your curiosity to learn more about what's going on, mm. more about what's going on related to the task, more about what's going on related to the big picture around the task, but also curious to learn more about what's going on with them as individuals, because you know that that's going to impact your team's ability to, to realize its tasks. So that's the M, the motivation. The I, we refer to as, as intervention. And a couple of things, Ed, Ed has been quoted many times for saying, and this is something it's very important to be mindful of, everything is an intervention. And I'll give you the, the most stark example of that for me is that I remember in, in, um, you know, in my Silicon Valley experience when I was a middle manager and I was interacting with, uh, with higher level managers, the most powerful manager I ever dealt with had an unbelievable ability to be stone silent. He expressed his power by not interjecting, by not um, offering sort of gratuitous comments. He just had the discipline and the focus to not say anything. And I realized his not saying anything was as powerful an intervention as some sort of a filler comment or a, a, I don't disagree with you, but kind of comment. His stone silence was in itself a very powerful intervention. on On the other hand, the other way to think about it is that intervening really needs to be, in the humble inquiry attitude, needs to be asking and not telling. Because if you're asking and not telling, you get to the point where you're, you're able to, to reach a deeper level, you know, sort of a, it's a deep listening, but it, ha- it has to start with asking and not telling. So that's the form of inter- intervention that we're talking about. It's drawing the other person out through asking and not telling. And then the last thing in, in the mic, the, the, our, our little mnemonic here, is that what you're, 
what you're offering is a contribution to the other person. It's motivation, intervention, contribution. And that means responding with empathy, meaning that the other person may relay something to you that resonates and you can relate back in a way that reinforces what they've said without sort of grabbing the mic, but offering to share the mic back and forth. And in that process, you you are able to reveal something about yourself. It may take the other person relaying a story to you that you can that you can relate back with, but in that process, you start to train yourself how to reveal in a way that is positive for both of you, rather than just sort of, again, grabbing the mic and starting to to tell your story. You need to share the mic so that you can each exchange information. So that's what we would characterize broadly as the humble inquiry attitude. Uh, Indeed. And it goes back to Ed's analogy of rather than it being someone leading the dance in a traditional way and choreographed, that it's more of an improv and it's a sharing and and it's uh, and it's art in real time. And if you are willing to have the courage to enter into that space, what amazing things you can open up and, and open up relationships that become more trusting, that really get into that level two range. Thank you both for this perspective. This book has been incredibly popular. Uh, it's been, I think, almost a decade since the first version came out. And now you are here with the second edition. And I'm guessing that there are some things that you have changed your minds on during that time. As you reflect on having written the book and now the second edition, I'm, I'm curious for you both, what's something that you've changed your mind on in recent years since the first edition published? Ed, if I can start, because I came at the first edition with a bunch of changes that I wanted to make. And some of those, or maybe a lot of those, had to do with there was some family history. You know, Ed and I are a father and son team. And there were some things in the first edition that to me were a little bit too close to home. And I thought, well, let's, in the process of updating or modernizing this, let's get rid of some of that personal stuff and try to create some new stories that are more sort of generically and professionally oriented. And I have to say, I'm not sure that was the right call. You know, a lot of times we really need to be open to those things that are happening in our outside of work lives, those personal things that really are influencing our our perspectives and our behavior. So um, I'm very happy with the way the book came out, but I think maybe I I rotated, I over-rotated against telling some of those personal stories because they do resonate with us. We're all human beings and we, we, um, we all have personal lives that are outside of our work lives. So huh. that's my thought. Oh, interesting. And, and interesting that here you are writing a book about making the invitation to reveal something that we tend to conceal and yet still falling into a bit of that and, and, and working yeah. on that line yourself. Oh, thank you. Ed, how about for you? My version of that is quite different because uh, the original motivation was I was very angry at what I thought of as our culture of tell. Telling was good. Telling was the only way to be. And we weren't doing enough asking. Uh, At that point, the relational concept 
was there in, in vague form, but wasn't articulated. I just wanted to convince the world that telling is, is not very useful. Now, when Peter and I started the second edition, we had gone through many years of a whole new phenomenon, namely reality was getting fuzzy. There were false facts and true facts. There was uh, reality from one point of view was different from reality from another point of view. And Peter brought that to my mind in a very vivid form to the point where I think we both realized that quite apart from the problem of being too much telling, the problem was a lot of that telling was false facts. And that the really deeper, deeper, crucial reason for humble inquiry in today's world is just to find out what's going on. If we're not sure what reality is and which facts are true and which facts are not true, how do we proceed unless we inquire and try to gather, gather more information from the people below us, above us, and around us just to figure out what is going on and what do we do about it? So the manager of today if I have to make an argument for why humble inquiry, I go back to that very practical reason that never mind that early diatribe about telling isn't always the right thing, but if you tell, then you're not asking and listening, and you won't find out what's going on. So just to get your job done, just to function in today's world, you'd better become an inquirer or you're gonna be skating on thin ice or walking around in a fog and you won't know what's real and what isn't. So for me, this second edition has a whole new thrust of humble inquiry to find out not just how to build a relationship, but to find out what, what's going on around me and how do I clarify what's real and what isn't. Edgar Schein and Peter Schein are the authors of Humble Inquiry, The Gentle Art of Asking Instead of Telling, the second edition. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your work. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure to have a chance to talk. Yes. If this conversation was helpful for you, several related episodes I would also recommend. One of them is the last time Ed and Peter were on the show on episode 363, The Path of Humble Leadership. In that conversation, we talked about the sister book in the series, Humble Leadership, goes right along with Humble Inquiry, a great compliment for leaders who really want to take this perspective of approaching relationships and organization with a sense of humility, episode 363 for that. I also would recommend episode 454, How to Ask Better Questions. My guest on that episode, David Marquet, former captain of the USS Santa Fe. In that episode, we talk about many of the practices he's discovered over the years and also the research he's since done on how to ask better questions. That's the topic of the episode. It's one of the most downloaded episodes we've ever had. It is a wonderful primer on some of the key things you can do to ask better questions. 
not just questions that are advice disguised as questions or direction disguised as questions, as a lot of us, me included, tend to do, but actually how to get to a place where we come to a place of curiosity and we don't know what the answer is going to be, which of course is right in alignment with what Ed and Peter are teaching, episode 454 for that. And then finally, as you heard in this conversation, the heart for having your motivation as a leader in the right place. Uh, No one speaks more eloquently on that than Patrick Lencioni, who talked about your leadership motive in episode 505, a wonderful compliment to this conversation as well. All of those episodes, of course, you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. We have an entire section of the website dedicated to conversation, also coaching skills. You'll find this episode filed under both of those areas and a bit around influence as well. So many other episodes that we've hosted over the years on those topics, many of them you can find by just going into the free membership portal and searching under episodes for the topic you're looking for right now. We've architected the entire website to be as useful to you as possible so that whatever you're thinking about right now, maybe something you're struggling with, you can go into the website there, find it, and find the episode and the resources that are going to be most useful to you. To get full access to that, just go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. When you do, you'll get the access to the entire library, but you'll also get access to all of my own personal library, all the resources I find that include in the weekly leadership guides, other podcast episodes uh, from other shows that I found that I think would be useful to you, all of it's databased in there, plus all of my notes and interview notes and highlights from the books. Uh, I've uh, looked at Humble Inquiry in great detail and done many highlights and uh, captured my notes from this conversation. All of those are available inside the free membership, along with many of the other books and interviews over the years. And of course, it includes the weekly leadership guide as well that comes to you each week after the episode with a lot more details, links, and resources. All of that available just by setting up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. Once you do, you'll be off and running in just a few moments with everything to help you out in the Coaching for Leaders ecosystem. Thank you, as always, for listening. Have a great week, and I will see you back next Monday.